This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Good health and good sense are two of life's greatest blessings. I'm Maureen McGrath, and that's exactly what we talk about here on the Sunday Night Health Show, a show all about health. It's been said your health is your wealth and leads to a longer, happier life and even better relationships, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, relational, and yes, 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 of course, sexual health. That's the cue to put the kitties to bed because we always uncover what lies beneath the covers here on the Sunday Night Health Show. Listener discretion is advised. I have a passion as a registered nurse and a nurse continence advisor and a sexpert for evidence-based health information to guide you so the life you lead is the best it can be. My aim is to provide you with up-to-date information so that you know there are options for treatment. Please, however, consult with your medical doctor for anything that ails you. Tonight on the program, we are talking about stress and spider veins and a little ring that I'm going to tell you about very shortly. When little things become big things, like little things in your relationship that might lead to big things like infidelity. And we're going to take a look at why some people might cheat. The reasons might surprise you. I am going to also review a very flawed study on the matter. Also, do you have male pattern baldness? Why bald may be beautiful after all. And why Viagra might not be the answer to your sexual problem. But right now, I want to talk about a little known ring. No, not the ring that, you're, that you might have on your finger. No, no, not that one. The one that uh, has uh, you betrothed to somebody else for the rest of your life. No, 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 that's not the ring I'm talking about at all. This is a ring I knew nothing about <laughs> until I was at a dinner with somebody who actually regurgitated her appetizer. And of course, she was highly embarrassed by this, but she knew exactly what had happened. And she told us all fairly immediately after uh, apologies all over the place, which was entirely unnecessary. You could see that this woman was suffering and a lot of people thought she was choking. Schatzky's ring, S-C-H-A-T-Z-K-I, is described as a smooth, benign, so that means non-cancerous, circumferential, and narrow ring of tissue in the lower end of the esophagus. And the esophagus is the food pipe that connects your mouth to your stomach. Shotzi rings are common, and they're especially common in people over the age of 50. And they are located just above the junction of the esophagus with the stomach. The cause of Schatzky rings is not well understood. Some physicians believe that they are caused by long-term damage to the esophagus from reflux of stomach acid. So if you have GERD, gastroesophageal reflux disease, uh, you may be at greater risk for a Schatzky's ring. The majority of these rings cause no symptoms, and oftentimes people don't even know they have them. But as the diameter of the rings shrink, solid, poorly food chewed, um, poorly chewed food, <laughs> like steak, turkey, hot dogs, or things that stay in chunks can get caught at the level of the ring. And this happens when the diameter of the ring shrinks to approximately one centimeter or 0.4 inches for those listeners in the U.S. 
The person with the Schatzky ring then experiences chest pain or a sticking sensation in the chest with swallowing. A lot of people will say uh, when they swallow bread, it it seems to take a long time for it to go down and it can be painful. And this is termed dysphagia. So that's difficulty with swallowing or a sticking sensation in the chest with swallowing. And when that bit of food passes into the stomach, your symptoms typically will subside quickly and you can resume eating. Sometimes people think they didn't chew their food enough, but that's not necessarily the case. The case is really around the circumference of the Schatzky's ring. And it it can get so bad. It can be so bad for people that some people may have to induce regurgitation or induce vomiting by sticking their finger in the back of their throat before they can begin eating and actually forcefully bring the food up. And occasionally, very, very occasionally, the food becomes impacted so that can, it can't pass, nor can it be regurgitated, regurgitated. So it actually gets stuck there. And so the symptoms of impacted food in the throat include chest pain, difficulty swallowing, decreased saliva, and secretion production. And so you might need to have a procedure with a flexible endoscope that is inserted through the mouth into the esophagus to extract the impacted food to relieve the obstruction because it can be quite uncomfortable. So you're probably wondering how Shatsky's ring is diagnosed. And the diagnosis usually can be made by barium x-ray examination of the esophagus. However, the narrow ring can be missed on an x-ray with symptom, on people with symptoms of uh, dysphagia, difficulty swallowing. So doctors typically also order an upper intes- intestinal endoscopy examination. So that is the best way. An endoscopy is actually the best way to diagnose a Schatzky ring. So if you have these symptoms, it's a good idea to go to your doctor and to talk about this because it's not really something people think about. It was news to me, I have to say, um, but that's nothing new. During the um, endoscopy, you'll have a flexible viewing tube that is inserted into your mouth and into your esophagus and then it allows a direct view of the inner lining of your esophagus and your stomach. And so that test also helps to exclude uh, an early cancer diagnosis or esophagitis or Barrett's esophagus, esophagus that may also cause narrowing of the esophagus. So Um, this is uh, an important thing to um, follow up and and get diagnosed because although there's no cure for Schatzky rings, uh, you can treat it and manage it under the care of your doctor. And so what happens is that people will undergo procedures that will stretch the Schatzky ring or that will fracture the rings. And so that allows solid food to pass through the esophagus more freely. And Schatzky rings can be uh, stretched or fractured with endoscopes or tapered dilators that are inserted through your mouth. And they can also place a deflated balloon across the ring and then inflate them. And that will help to stretch the Schatzky ring. So occasionally, um, Shotsky rings may be cut with an, an electrocautery probe and rarely is surgery necessary to treat those Shotsky rings. Um, but it can be an uncomfortable and an embarrassing health condition. And if you have those symptoms, difficulty with swallowing, or you've just eaten something and it pops back up, uh, basically, or you may have chest pain or, or certain things that you feel like you didn't chew your food properly, that may not be the case.
So this is a good thing to go and speak to your uh, doctor, your medical doctor about uh, your GP and explain the symptoms that you're having because it's, it's a pretty common condition and also you want to rule out anything else. So a differential diagnosis is always critical. I am Maureen McGrath and it is my pleasure to be here with you tonight on the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. We are a stressed out society. This is Maureen McGrath. (laughs) I try not to uh, get too uh, upset about things. In fact, people are always just like, are you upset about this? It's just like, no, you know, not worth it. There are many hills I don't really feel like dying on. Anyway, you've got to choose your battles. And because that impact of that stress can certainly have a negative effect on your heart health, on your brain health, on the quality of your life, on your relationships, everything. But we throw these words around, you know, stress and burnout and fatigue. And what does that mean? Uh, You know, everyone is tired these days because we're overwhelmed with our inboxes. Uh, That's the email inboxes. Uh, We are just, uh, people have PTSD. They throw that term around as well and you know there are so many demands I was talking to a chef recently and he told me that uh, his you know the demands of being a chef are so detrimental to one's health and he said the you know you work 60 hours a week he said there's no breaks and you know the average hourly rate he realizes you know drops down to about eight dollars an hour because there's no overtime and 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 so he became incredibly stressed and and left the restaurant industry and, and is now working in the food truck industry and he finds it a lot more manageable so i just wanted to give you a few definitions on some of these terms that we're throwing around because of the life that instant gratification life that chronic over busyness life that we are all leading. I'm even leading it, quite frankly. I mean, I as I'm certainly busy, and I really uh, try to have downtime every day, which consists of exercising and and reading and and um, you know time to myself actually, and that's important to take time to yourself. And so if you are suffering from these symptoms, you may need to seek professional help or maybe utilize the services of a certified coach or counselor that specializes in stress, burnout, and compassion fatigue. I see a lot of this in caregivers in my clinical practice. If their um, partners are ill, you know, older couples, their partners are ill. There's, there's so much stress on them. They don't even realize that because they are giving so much of themselves, depleting themselves, uh, so much, uh, because they're trying to help. They're trying to care. They're doing everything, not only for themselves, but for their partner. And then maybe for the community and maybe their grandchildren. So I'm often talking about that, um, to older couples. And so it's, you know, it's worthwhile to actually get somebody in the home to help with those duties those caregiving duties, especially if you have somebody living with you that has dementia or Alzheimer's or um, advanced stages of other neurological or chronic conditions. So, but I want to, you know, it's, I think it's always good to know where we begin. And, and oftentimes it's that knowledge is power and education on what these terms mean. And self-knowledge is powerful. So you want to be, if you're tossing around some definitions, you want to toss around the right ones. So the definition of stress is a state of mental or emotional strain or tension that results from adverse or very demanding circumstances. And the stress symptoms typically are general unhappiness, anxiety, agitation, moodiness, irritability, anger, 
feeling overwhelmed, loneliness and isolation. So that's critical, especially that feeling overwhelmed, which can lead to depression. A lot of people throw the term depression around as well when they're just sad or they're having a tough time in life. So be very careful uh, with that as well. Depression needs to have a certain amount of time that you experience uh, particular symptoms. Um, And fatigue is certainly one of the symptoms of depression. But burnout, burnout is a physical or mental collapse caused by overwork or stress. And burnout symptoms consist of chronic fatigue, lack of energy, and feeling tired most days. Insomnia, so unable to fall asleep or stay asleep. Forgetfulness, impaired concentration and attention. You may have physical symptoms, increased illnesses, loss of appetite, anxiety, and depression. And fatigue is extreme tiredness, and that typically results from mental or physical exertion or illness. I had gone swimming 21 days in a row in the morning, and probably on half of those days, I went again in the afternoon. And I have to say, one night, I was so fatigued. I had extreme tiredness, physical tiredness, physical fatigue, and I had to go to bed at 8 o'clock. Um, and then I slept till like six, six or seven the next morning. It was fantastic. Recovered. And you know, that's what you got to do. But see, so for those fatigues and symptoms are chronic tiredness or sleepiness, headache, dizziness, sore or aching muscle, muscle weakness, slowed reflexes and responses, impaired decision-making and judgment and moodiness like irritability. And nobody wants an irritable person around. I don't anyway, that's for darn sure. Um, something that I do when I have extreme, um, fatigue is I eat. (laughs) So that's not good either. And I know that. And I just know if I'm hungry, that means I should go to bed. Compassion fatigue definition is the physical, mental, emotional exhaustion experienced over extended period of time while in a caregiver role to those that are sick or coping with trauma. You are giving so much of yourself and this will take a toll on your body. You may experience chronic physical and emotional exhaustion. You may depersonalize. You may have feelings of indifference toward others or situations or even yourself. You may be irritable. You may have feelings of self-contempt, insomnia. You may lose a fair bit of weight and have an excessive weight loss or you may gain weight. And you may also experience chronic headaches. So you want to get to the bottom of these symptoms that you're having. Secondary trauma stress or STS is the emotional duress that results when an individual hears about the first hand trauma experiences of another person. So you've probably experienced that in mild forms yourself. You hear a news story, a negative news story, or or some of the um, deaths we've had across the country or the killing sprees that we've had in this country and in the country uh, below us, uh, to the south of us. And so you might have a little bit of mild STS. And those symptoms, if you get involved in them, a lot of people can't watch the news. They just say, it bothers me so much. They might get exhausted. They may not be able to sleep. They might get headaches. They might have increased sus susceptibility to illness. They might have physical symptoms like a sore back and neck, irritable bowel, GI distress. Here come those initials again, gastrointestinal distress. But isn't GI so much nicer? You might have skin rashes or skin breakouts, or you might grind your teeth at night, have heart palpitations. These stories can be incredibly upsetting or hearing of somebody else's trauma can be incredibly upsetting. Even some podcasts that I listen to that, that are about, one is called I can't, this, this is actually happening. And it's all about these tragic stories. Don't ask me why I listen to these tragic stories of people where, you know, 
murderers come into their houses and, you know, murder their mother and they witness it. And then, you know, everybody's, it's a bloodied scene and the neighbors don't believe them. And it's, it's terrible. And so do not ask me why I put that in my ear before I go to bed at night, but you can have negative symptoms. As a result, increased signs of anger, or irritability, isolation, binging, avoiding contact or follow-up, avoiding noise and meetings, family gatherings, negative venting. I'm sure a lot of people around politics are, are venting in a negative way. I get a fair bit of negative venting emails, and then at the bottom, people, it's about their situation. It's about the situation that they're in. They may have been in a sexist marriage for a long time. This may be a secondary traumatic stress for them. Um, they may have left another marriage and gone into a second marriage and ended up in a sexist marriage. And, and that can be traumatic for people. Isolation, loneliness. Um, you may have thoughts of quitting uh, your job. So if you're experiencing this at work, you have to look at that. Post-traumatic stress disorder, the definition is a mental state that may over time turn into a disorder which can develop after a person is exposed to a traumatic event, such as a sexual assault, a car accident, or dur- during warfare. So you must remember this, that if somebody has experienced any one of those things, they may actually experience PTSD symptoms. And so they may avoid trauma related thoughts and emotions, discussion of the traumatic event. They may have amnesia associated with the event. Um, The event is commonly relived by the individual through intrusive recurrent recollections, dissociation episodes of reliving the trauma flashback, and they may experience nightmares as well. Who hasn't experienced job burnout? Not me. (laughs) I love my work. Um, But I have a a multidisciplinary work. I work in all sorts of fields. I I touch many different uh, uh, fields or industries, from medical to legal to to, uh, aesthetic to bladder health to uh, lots of things, blogging, social media. So it's, it's very varied, which is, which is nice. So I'm not going to get sick of any one thing. But job burnout symptoms um, may happen when a person has lack of control over their work. They may have a sudden temper outburst, lack of motivation. And so these are the kinds of things you have to look out for because they can certainly affect your life and, um, and your relationships and your health as well. I am Maureen McGrath, and you are listening all about stress, burnout, and everything else on the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. Thank you so much for being here with me. Uh, I want to talk to you right now about telangiectasis. Do you know what that is? It's those nasty little spider veins that 55% of women actually get. And, you know, I didn't know I had them. Well, I'd had a little patch that I was aware of, but then it was when a friend of mine pointed out and she said, you have to get rid of those. (laughs) And I looked and I thought, oh, they never really bothered me. But uh, if they're starting to bother the public, well, I might as well get those taken care of. Um, But I was surprised to learn that that wasn't the only area where I had spider veins. And so I've had them taken care of, and I want to talk to you about them because in case these are bothersome for you, they can be unattractive looking, especially if you have, if you have a lot of them. Um, but 
many women view them as the bane of their existence. Uh, as I said, close to 55% of women have some type of vein problem, and that is according to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Office on Women's Health. Now, this is not varicose veins. These are different. These are small, thin, twisty, turny veins, and they get their name because, you guessed it, they resemble spider legs. And there's a genetic component to whether you will get these or not. So if your mother or sister or someone else in the family has them, there is a darn good chance you'll get them as well, as genetics is the most common cause. But it doesn't mean you're going to get them if your mother has them. You still have a chance that you may not get them. So also, what contributes to whether or not you will get spider veins is about your lifestyle choices, which we talk about a lot on this Sunday Night Health Show. And I talk about smoking. Smoking is never good (laughs) in any form. Obesity, yes, I am a weight Nazi, I admit to it, and hormonal birth control. So you know what? I've had none of those, okay? Um, And yet I still have spider veins. So that also shows you that this just ups your risk. It doesn't necessarily... I mean, you're going to get them. But those three things can contribute to the formation of spider veins. And why that is, is because smoking and obesity can restrict circulation. And that, in turn, causes the vessels to swell. And the swelling of the vessels is what causes or leads to the spider veins. I had a patient uh, that I've seen for a few years now. And and I've talked to her about losing weight. She has veins uh, she has varicosities and so varicose veins and spider veins. But I've talked to her for other reasons, bladder health, about losing weight. And, you know, it fell on deaf ears a little bit. But she said that she went to a specialist. She was referred to a specialist. And something that was noted, notable about this particular patient was she kept saying to me, oh, her doctor was amazing. She kept referring her to all these specialists. And I just thought, you know, there's probably a lot you can do to prevent all of these medical problems that you're having. So, you know, everybody has their aha moment or everybody has their tipping point. And so her tipping point or aha moment was when she read a, the consultant, the medical consultant's letter, and the first line was, Dear Dr. So-and-so, thank you for sending me this moderately obese woman. Anyway, so that struck her, and she said, when I saw it in writing, I decided I'm going to change my diet and uh, and lose some weight, and, and so that's what got her started on it. I was not able to talk that dog off the meat wagon, but nonetheless, uh, she's doing it now, and that's great. So, you know, you really want to, if you're smoking or you are obese, you actually want to get on the scale. A lot of women don't, but... Anyway, obesity puts a lot of stress on your body in general, and that can be harmful to your circulatory system. And then birth control alters hormone levels, and that may weaken vein walls and speed up the formation of spider and varicose veins. And the varicose veins are a bit more of a serious vein problem that can cause pain and lead to serious health issues like DVT or deep vein thrombosis. I get in a lot of trouble for using um, acronyms or initials when it comes to medical things. So Uh, If I do that, hopefully I will always define it for you. But certainly email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com, if you have any questions about whatever it is I'm talking about. There are things you can do uh, to prevent them. They are basically losing weight, but, you know, hereditary factors you can't change. You, You didn't ask to be born into that family. 
believe you me. Um, so prevention isn't really all that possible, but if you're leading a healthy lifestyle, that can certainly um, be beneficial for you. Running and exercise are certainly beneficial for circulation. Biking is also beneficial for circulation as well and swimming. So anything like that, they can help prevent veins from forming. There are treatment options, and which is good to know. And uh, so I learned a fair bit when I had my spider veins treated. Uh, the most effective option is sclerotherapy, and that consists of injecting a solution that is composed of salt and fatty acids and glycerin, and that is injected into the faulty vein. And that collapses the vein and then allows the blood to flow back safely into your bloodstream. And it, it, it's painless, honestly. It feels like nothing. It doesn't even feel like uh, a mosquito bite. It's nothing. Uh, but it, they say it feels like any normal injection, but I felt nothing. I have a very high pain threshold. <laughs> By the way, it only takes a few minutes for me. It took 45 minutes to do both legs. And um, and then I needed to, there's no downtime, but you do need to wear these really sexy tensor bandages, which I went straight back to the office. I had a dress on, tensor bandages and sandals. <laughs> And the patients were like, what happened to you? I'm like, oh, you know, I just had spider veins and, you know, here you go. And I was showing them all. And but people were like, well, you you know, you're OK to wear those tensor bandages in here. Like, in other words, they look horrible. <laughs> I know I don't really care. You got to get the work done. Um, so if they don't bother you, they don't bother me. I had to wear the tensor bandages for six hours, six or seven hours afterward. No, six hours. Yeah. Afterward, some people may experience bruising, but I didn't. If you do, it typically clears up in a week or two. Uh, there's also another treatment, uh, which is a completely painless version of the treatment. Maybe I had this one, cryosclerotherapy. And that incorporated a blast of cool air that numbs the skin. But I don't think I had that one, to be totally honest with you. I just think I'm tough. Uh, and then there's foam sclerotherapy, which uses foam to cling to the vein wall, but it can take longer to see the results. Who wants that? Not me. I like instant gratification. This is... 2018, is it not? Um, but that is typically performed on larger veins, the foam sclerotherapy. So the number of sessions that you require depends on the severity of the veins. I'm happy to report that I only needed the one. So maybe they weren't as bad as my friend pointed out. Aren't women great to one another? Oh, look at your legs. They look horrible. (laughs) I'm actually grateful for her. The treatment costs between $500 and $1,000 per session. I suppose it has something to do with just how um, what the roadmap of your legs look like. I had a patient who told me one time that her grandson said to her, um, Grandma, why have you drawn all over your legs? She had varicose, varicose veins. I'm going to talk about that in another segment coming up. I'm Maureen McGrath, and you are listening to the roadmap of the Sunday Night Hell Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Hell Show. As you know, we deal with relationship issues on this program. And I see many couples in my clinical practice or online. Uh, I use a program that is HIPAA compliant for privacy. It is called VC. And and so I, I speak to couples who are struggling in their relationships around the globe. Many of them have seen my TEDx talk called The No Sex Marriage, Masturbation, Cheating, Loneliness, and Shame. And, um, and then they have contacted me because some of the things that I said in that had resonated uh, in their relationship with them as it related to their relationship. And so there are certain things that I notice in relationships. Um, one thing is that 
uh, couples let little things fester and, and build up and they don't actually deal with the little things and then they can turn into gigantic things, really big things. And one of the, the boundaries that is often crossed is people move over into infidelity. And a little bit later on in the program, I'm going to be talking about a new study that talked about the type of person you are and other circumstances that may uh, relate to why you may be at greater risk for cheating or or what are some of the reasons for you to go outside of your relationship. But one of the things is that, uh, you know, and you might be this way, you know, many people don't like to fight. They hate conflict. They avoid it like the plague. They also don't like emotional upset or that passion. That passion goes along with, you know, fighting uh, healthily, quite frankly. Um, And other times... People hate when their partner is upset. It, it's really bothersome to them, and they also feel guilty, and they feel like they um, they may have caused it. They hate all the bad feelings that come up for them when when they're arguing. And so, and a lot of people will say, you know, my husband and I never argue. We have, you know, they're insinuating they have a perfect relationship, but that's not the case because a lot of things can be repressed or or suppressed, or you may feel powerless in your relationship. And oftentimes we all do this. We say things that we regret later. And you, and, but you also, when you're on the receiving end of those things, and some of those things may be truth that your partner says about you, and you might just hate when they actually speak the truth about you. And, and sometimes, you know what, I, I don't like the word hate at all. So, um, and so that's another part of it, but it's a, a way to describe things that we really are not comfortable with in a relationship. Many people are conflict avoidant, uh, but not everybody. Some people actually like fighting, and I actually su- think some people are addicted to fighting, and I think it stimulates the brains of some people, that they will egg other people on, and they want to hear. They want you know that uh, somebody to come at them. I think it, they find it um, arousing in some way. Uh, so you, you can see that actually, that people just like to fight. And if you don't, uh, you know, take their cue, if you don't actually, um, feed into their fighting, you know, they may calm down a little bit. And, um, so if you're somebody who likes to fight, well, you know, you might not want to continue with this (laughs) segment. Um, but no, you want to learn a little bit about healthy fighting because it is, good to fight, actually. Uh, You know, nobody, no two people are going to get along swimmingly for the rest of their life. That's just not going to happen. You're going to have disagreements, especially if you have children, if you have jobs, if you have a home, if you have finances, if you actually need to manage your money. Uh, Oh, oh, did we forget about sex? Uh, Yes. So sex, if you want to have sex and your partner doesn't want to have sex, that can be cause for um, issues in the relationship. And so, you know, quite honestly, a lot of guys come into my clinical practice and they haven't had sex for a long time, two weeks. No, they haven't had sex for a while and it's not because of a medical reason or it's not because, or they may not realize, sometimes this can be because their behavior is inappropriate or they're just acting like a plain old jerk and so nobody's going to want to have sex with someone like that. Or if they have a flaccid penis, erectile dysfunction, not really that sexually appealing either. So there's a few things that you just have to, I have to wade through uh, to figure out what the reason is for uh, their wife.
wife not wanting to have sex with them. It certainly happens in same-sex relationships as well. But quite often what you find is that these issues in relationships haven't been discussed. They haven't been had that back and forth. People are upset and they may blow a gasket when they finally talk about it. And this is what I see. I see these guys, they come into my clinical practice and honestly, you know, some haven't had sex for a year, two years, five years, a decade. And you know what? They are ready to blow their heads off and they're so frustrated and they have no idea and they say vicious and mean things uh, to their partner about it. And they try to be respectful and, you know, they've just gotten themselves down a really bad path and the fighting is not the least bit constructive. And so, first of all, healthy fighting and successful resolution leads to many benefits in your relationship. So keep that in mind. It is a good idea to fight respectfully. Say what you mean. Mean what you say. Don't say it mean. And deal with it early on so that these things don't grow and become something that is, you know, the big elephant in the room. Healthy fighting and successful resolution because you can get to that. You can, you know, I often say you need to put the problem on the table, but if you're denying that there's a problem, you're never going to put the problem on the table. And then other things can happen. It's like holding the beach balls underwater in the Atlantic Ocean, not the Pacific. It's kind of quiet out there. But, um, you know, trying to do that and to keep your feelings and your upset to yourself. And it's going to come out in other ways. It's going to come out in in stress weight. Uh, We see that in women a lot. They put on weight around their abdomen, and that's definitely a sign of, uh, can be a sign of stress, or it can just be too much Ben and Jerry's. Um, It it can certainly uh, be, for a number of reasons, unhealthy eating, but for women who are stressed or upset about something and don't feel empowered to talk to their partner about it, you may see them uh, gain weight around the middle. Um, But healthy fighting and successful resolution can strengthen your relationship because you are increasing the trust in that. And that constructive fighting is what occurs within boundaries or rules that allow for emotional expression while avoiding abuse. And so it strengthens relationships. And, you know, weathering the storm allows a couple to see the clearing of the skies, quite frankly, and then calm waters ahead. And you can actually see a brighter future on the horizon. So uh, coming through the other side of an argument strengthens feelings of trust in that process. And knowing that you can survive and that somebody's not going to leave you, because that also happens in relationships. It's like he always says he's going to leave. And then he, you know, he starts yelling and then he says, I'm leaving you. And then, you know, that can trigger something in a partner who, you know, perhaps, has a security issue, an attachment issue, or who was left as a child. And so, you know, sometimes arguments erupt like a, like an unforeseen storm on the ocean, blindsiding both partners. And so surviving these little surprises actually builds resiliency to confrontational situations, which nobody likes. You know what? You will feel better once you have dealt with the issue, had a good old argument. You will feel better because letting off steam and expressing your feelings releases tension, anxiety, and fear. You feel lighter. You feel less burdened. You feel like a weight is lifted off of your shoulder. But I can't believe how many people are in sexless marriages and they I mean, I had one patient from Denmark, 10 years, he's not had sex with his wife, and he 
is looking around, quite frankly, and he said that. I'm, I've started to notice that I'm looking around. After 10 years, it's taken you 10 years to look around. <laughs> anyway, um, but he has never had this discussion, and he's really upset. And so he's keeping his emotions all bottled up all the time, and that leads to rigidity of the mind, body, and your soul. This is not an academic position. This is detrimental to your physical health, to your emotional health, and it doesn't help to resolve the situation. And you start to have resolutions that are unhealthy and that, quite frankly, will, you know, may in in fact blow up an entire marriage, an entire lifetime together. Um, So you actually need to express yourself, get comfortable, practice what you're going to say, because you know what, in the future, you actually will understand your partner better. You'll and your partner will understand your thoughts and your feelings and your opinions. When you are fully able to express yourself, your partner will understand the depth of your feelings around that subject. And guess what? As a result of all this, intimacy increases. Fighting tells us what is important for our partner, what they don't like, what they do like, what they want, where their boundaries are, how flexible they are, what hurts them, what bothers them, what their limits are, what they need to feel better. Do they need that apology? Do they need that back rub? Do they need that hug? Do they need sex? Is that what they need to feel better? So discovering these aspects breeds that deeper intimacy and a greater appreciation for one another. And you know what? You you also begin to realize that your partner is a separate individual to you. You know, a lot of people walk down the aisle and, you know, there is this whole dogma that we are one, we have become one. And you know what? You're not, you are not one. You are two, maybe three, Um, but you are two individuals. And once you become comfortable in a relationship, it's easy to think that your partner knows your moods, your needs, your desires, And you know what? Sometimes this is another huge mistake in a relationship. People think that their partner can read their minds. Forget it. They cannot read your mind. Nobody is a mind reader. And this is, you know, people expect, he should have known that I wanted this gift for my birthday, or he should have known that I wanted him to make reservations, or she should have known that she should have picked up some uh, new clothes for me or, <laughs> or something. I'm trying to think. Like, guys typically don't say that, but women typically expect a mind reader in the in their man, and that is definitely not something that can happen. But you know what? Healthy fighting, conflict resolution improves your character. You increase your patience, your care, your listening skills, your love. You focus on what is important. And you know what? You can finally stop trying to be perfect because guess what? Nobody is perfect. You're not perfect. Your partner's not perfect. Your marriage isn't perfect because nothing is perfect. Stop trying to achieve it except for this show might be a little perfect. I'm kidding, of course. I'm Maureen McGrath, and this is the Sunday Night Health Show. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.